And I am excited to wrap up for the year with you guys. So it's sad, I know, but I am excited to finish our Abide in Christ series. So we've gone through a lot of different aspects of what it looks like to abide in Christ. As we've gone through John 15 and John 16, And remember, when we talk about abide, we talked about the Greek word for that and what that means. And it basically means to remain in something, to rest in something, but it's to do so actively. So it's not just to passively just like let things happen and just kind of sit there and be like, yeah, I'm saved, I'm good. I'm going to be with Christ forever. But it's to be actively remaining in him, actively abiding in him, working and showing what it looks like to be a follower of Christ to be abiding in Christ. And so in case some of you are just like jumping in with us or maybe like you came the first week but you missed a few other ones, I want to recap a little bit about what we've been talking about. So the first week, we started out talking about being in the garden. Remember? Being in the garden. So I came up here, I wore that stupid shirt with the bear and the fruit on it. You remember that? Yeah, he said, yeah, oh, thank you, thank you. But yeah, and we talked about that there is the vine, And that's Christ, and we are the branches, and we have to be able to be attached to the vine to get life. That we get our life from the vine. If we're not attached, then we are a dying branch. And ultimately, we bear fruit, we show fruit, which means that we have evidence of our salvation. That we have evidence that we are abiding in Christ. And then the next week, Alan talked about being in the throne room, right? The throne room, and being cherished. What it looks like to be cherished by Christ to what it looks like to be cherished by others in the church, others in the body. And then last week, Alan talked about and led us through the battlefield. And so then, remember, there are different aspects to the battlefield and what that looks like. And sometimes it's out in the world. It's the battlefield of what it looks like to, to live out in the world, to be a witness for Christ and to abide in him. But also, it can happen in the church. To be in the church and to have to still abide in him and still have to push through things like gossip or any other troubling thing that might push other Christians against one another. And so today, I'm going to wrap it up and we are going to be going to the courtroom. We're going to be going to the courtroom. So some of you might be like, all right, I have no idea where this is going. That's all right. I actually changed the title of this about four times because I was like, this could go so many ways, but this is the one that makes the most sense with the text. So we are going to dig into this, and we are going to be looking at John 16 and what it looks like now that Christ is not here with us, he's not among us, but what it looks like for us to truly abide in him. So I'm going to read through the passage, and then we're going to break it down. You could take a look at the screen. It'll be up on the screens for you as well. And start at the beginning in verse 5. It says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And I'll keep going. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what I want you to think about as we kind of break down this passage is Christ isn't here with us. Like, we're not sitting face to face with the man Christ. He's not here with us. So what do we do? What does that mean for us? How do we truly abide in him? Because if you think about this scenario, right, like we've talked about, the disciples are sitting with Christ. They're talking to him. He, they're hearing this from him, but we're not hearing this. How do we actually abide? What does that look like? And Alan hinted at it last week, and we're going to talk more. And that comes with the helper. That comes with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look, what does it look like for us to be involved with the Holy Spirit? And it really looks a lot like a courtroom. It looks a lot like a courtroom. And that's why this first point that I want you to see is that the Spirit is the prosecutor. The Spirit is the prosecutor. Now, there is an extremely wise man in your midst. His name is Ryan Shepard. He's sitting over here. He leads the band. And I got this illustration from him, and I ran so well. I thought it was super good. And so when we see the Spirit as the prosecutor we get a better establishing of what it looks like for our role in the courtroom with the Holy Spirit. So take a look up at the screen again. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as I was kind of like digging into this text and as I was looking, that question that Christ puts up here, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? And something that is agreed upon that a lot of people say is that like when these, the disciples ask this, they're asking it because Christ is no longer going to be with them. He's not going to be in front of them anymore. They've been following him and they've been learning from him and they've been growing with him. And seeing what it looks like to truly abide in him, to live with him. And now Christ is leaving. And so they're like, well, wh- why, are, why are you going? Like, what are you doing? And I feel like that's a fair question to ask. You know, like this dude that says, like, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, and he is going to die. And then ultimately, he's going to rise again. But he's saying he's going to go die. And they're like, well, what are you doing? Why are you leaving us? And what a, a lot of people agree, a lot of people, scholars say, and I would agree, that's a, that's a pretty selfish question. And you might be like, well, why is it selfish? It feels fair. I mean, like, the Messiah is leaving them. But in reality, their question is, what, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do in this moment instead of what do we do next when you leave? What does our mission look like? What should we do when you go? But they're not asking that. They're asking more because the sorrow of Christ leaving has filled their heart. It's like if you were being trained at a job, and whatever your job is, if you're, if you're working at like a fast food restaurant, and your boss is like, all right, you are doing a good job. I think you're doing well. I'm going to go for the weekend. You can take care of the shift this weekend. I'm going to leave. And it's like as if you looked at the manager and you were like, what are you doing? What, what, where are you going? You've trained me for three years. I'm not ready for this. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. 
because these people have been following him. Christ has been preparing them for him to leave. But instead of asking, okay, what do we do next? They're just going to complain and say, well, I, I want Christ here. But what Christ is saying in this passage is that it is better for him to leave because now the helper is coming. And this is unique because in a very humble way, Christ is saying, I have given you everything that you can know right now. And my time has come. So I'm going to back off and I'm going to let the Spirit do what he is supposed to do. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do what he's supposed to do. And we're going to see in a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit what the Spirit's role is in that. But what Christ is saying is that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to come to remind Christians of what Christ has already said. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one that points back to the text and shows this is what Christ, this is what he told us to do. This is how we were to live our lives. He's going to show believers what it looks like to keep living and keep abiding in Christ. We can't do ministry without Christ. The disciples were right in that. We can't do it without him. But if we are truly abiding in him, like everything we've talked about for the past three weeks, when he sends the Spirit and the Spirit is the one that aids us, we can go out and have a successful mission. But we need the Spirit to effectively tell the story of the gospel. So when I said that Ryan Shepard gave me this illustration, he gave me this idea, this picture Actually, our whole community group, actually, are this picture of what it looks like to be in a courtroom. And that we are sitting here as witnesses. That we are seeing and we are learning we are growing from what we've, what we've seen. But the Holy Spirit is the one that is going to convict. The Holy Spirit is the one that sentences. The Holy Spirit is the one that basically gives out the hard facts of what the situation is. But our role is just to be the witness. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a little bit. But I want you to remember that the Spirit is the one that is pushing us to be better. But now, not only is the Spirit, not, not only is the Spirit in that, is in that role, but he is also the convictor. The Spirit is the convictor. And so this next part of the passage is about how the Spirit convicts the world. How the Spirit convicts the world. And the word that's used here in Greek for convict for convict should be actually more accurately reprove. So to like kind of like work on something to make it better, to mold it into something better. But for our day and age, reprove just doesn't have the same weight as convict. So when it's translated, it's put in there as convict. And so when, we, when the spirit is convicting the world, what it is saying is these are the hard facts of what is wrong and this is what needs to change. I'm gonna, the Spirit is going to show the world what needs to change. See, without conviction, there can be no conversion. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. The world won't know what it's doing wrong if no one is there to tell it what the right way looks like. A kid is still going to touch a hot stove if you don't explain to that kid why they should not touch the hot stove. So that's what the Spirit is here to do. It's here to remind, he's here to remind the world of what it looks like to follow Christ, to abide in Christ. And there's three different ways that the Spirit convicts. There's three different ways that this passage outlines for us. And the first one is he convicts through unbelief. He convicts of unbelief. He convicts of unbelief. So if you check out verse 9, it says, concerning sin 
because they do not believe in me. So a lot of times we come up here and we talk about sin, like here's the things that you shouldn't say, here's the places you shouldn't go, here's the things you shouldn't watch, you know, here's the things that you shouldn't drink, whatever it is. But, and those are, uh, there's warrant and there's conversations to be had there, but it does not get to the root of what our sin looks like. See, our sin is rooted in unbelief. It is saying that this, what, the, what God has shown me, what Christ has shown me is not enough, is not good enough. I don't believe that Christ is the one that truly saved me. I don't believe what he has taught me is good enough. And that's a root problem. And you might not come out and say that every day, or people in the world might not come out and say that every day, but that's what it is at its core. And then it reflects on these other things. It reflects on these other aspects. And so I want you to think about like all of those times that you have been faced with a, with a situation where do I, should I defend what I believe? Whether it's in a classroom setting, a conversation with a friend, even if you see something on Instagram or Twitter or something, you might want to reply. In those moments, how do you respond to that situation? Do you respond with a heart of belief and saying, I should take a stand for what this is, I should push back against this, I should show them the truth in love? Or do you take a step back and say, maybe this thing is right. Maybe the thing that they're saying that might not be biblical is right. That's what the Spirit is convicting of, is unbelief. But take a look at the next one. The Spirit also convicts of righteousness. The Spirit convicts of righteousness. Now, this one might sound a little weird to, you, to some of you guys. It definitely sounded weird to me when I was first going through this. But verse 10 says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. That's weird, but... What Christ is saying is that when he leaves, when he leaves the disciples, he's going to go and sit at the right hand of the Father. He's going to be in heaven. He's going to be away. And we're not going. Not yet, at least. Not yet, at least. That, for believers, that comes later. One day we will be with him for eternity. But we cannot get to the right hand of the Father without Christ. It, the gap of what righteousness looks like is huge. Our sin separates us so far from righteousness because God is perfectly righteous. Christ is perfectly righteous, but our sin separates us so far. And so when I was growing up going to church, there was, in my mind, it was, if I pray a prayer or if I just, if I act the best way that I can, then I'm, gonna, I'm good. But in reality, it's not... It was, it's not that easy to do that. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, there are laws on top of laws for what it looks like. Take a look at the screen. These are just some of the laws that, that Leviticus tells us. And there's more. Keep, go, go to the next one. And here's more. I couldn't even fit it on the page. That's how much, that's how much more it is. You keep going, Evan. Go to the next one. Here's more. Yeah, there's more. There's more. I mean... Look at this one. Stealing and lying. Picking up grapes that have fallen in your vineyard. If you've ever picked up a grape in a vineyard, like that, you've broken a law. So the reason that I'm showing you this is because there are so many different things that we would have to follow, and we'd have to follow to a T. But because of Christ's work on the cross, because of his death and because he took sin, 
our sin, we are able to be with him for eternity. So I want you to remember that. That is what righteousness looks like. That's the price that had to be paid so that we could be righteous, so that we could be viewed as righteous. And that's what it looks like. The gap is huge because of our sin, but Christ has covered that gap. It's a big deal. And the last way that the Spirit convicts the world is it convicts of judgment. It convicts of judgment. Now, I don't want to dwell on this one too long because Alan hit it a little bit last week, but verse 11 says, concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. So in this passage, the ruler of this world is Satan. Is Satan. Ephesians reminds us of that, that Satan is the ruler of the world. And so what Christ is saying here is that this, Satan is going to be judged. Sin is going to be judged. That's going to happen. God is just. He is righteous. And he cannot stand with sin. So there is going to be judgment that happens. And ultimately, when Christ died after he's done talking to the disciples, he defeated death. And one day, Satan is going to be sent to hell and he's going to be there for eternity. Like, I'm just giving you the news flash that Christ wins, all right? So like, don't think that this is like a mystery or something. That's exactly what happens. And so what, he, what effectively is happening here is that this is a warning that you could like go back and forth like, ah, maybe Christ might win, he might not. Who knows? Like, you never know, you know, whatever, whatever. But in reality, this is a warning. This is showing, this is going to happen. The world is going to be judged. So what are we going to do with that information? What are we going to do with the spirit? He's effectively, what he wants to do is he wants to, he's going to work through us and he's going to show others what that looks like, what the, that there is going to be judgment, but there is salvation. The gap to righteousness has been bridged. But don't, I don't want you to sit idly by with this knowledge, knowing this, and just let the world go by. That's not actively abiding. That's not what that looks like. And so those are three different ways that the Spirit is going to convict the world. And it's a lot. So this is, if the Spirit is doing this, if the Holy Spirit is doing this, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, that is why, if you take a look at this next slide, we are going to be working with the Spirit. We are, but we are merely the witnesses. We are merely the witnesses. The Holy Spirit is giving us an opportunity to be with him as he, as he works through us to show others about Christ. But take a look up at the slides, starting in verse 12. It's, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's two big things that I want you to see in this. And there's two ways that, of what our role looks like when we are participating in this. And so our role is going to look, one, it's going to look two ways. The first way is that you have to listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. So... 
this passage is saying that the Spirit is going to show us and point to us the things that we should learn, the knowledge that we should know, the people that we should talk to, whatever it is. He's going to point to the, to the Bible. He's going to show us what we should be knowing, knowing from God's Word to effectively point people to Christ. He's going to help us grow. He's going to help us to abide. Because when we, have, when we abide in Christ, we have the Spirit. When we abide in Christ, we have the Spirit. So then, uh, I think there are probably two groups of people in this room. Because when you hear that, the Spirit is the one that does all the work. We are just the witnesses. We are the ones that get to say, this is what Christ has done. Here's what he's done. Look at his word. This is what, this, this is what Christ has done for the world. Let me tell you more about Christ. The Jesus is awesome. Let me just keep telling you about Jesus. That is essentially what we are to do. We are the witnesses. We have seen it. We have learned. We have grown. But the Spirit is the prosecutor. He is the one that does the sentencing. It is his role to work on the hearts. It is our role to merely be a witness and to tell others about Christ. So for some of you in this room, some of you are probably like, I like know barely anything in the Bible. I don't have any verses memorized. I don't, have, I don't know. What, I don't even know what, the, what theology is or anything like that. That should be like a burden lifted off your shoulders. Because these are good things. Those are good things to learn. And that abiding in Christ looks like learning and digging into those things. But you aren't the one that is changing hearts. You aren't the one that is going to be the one that goes and, make, and works on the person's heart. You are just there to point them to the Bible, to point them to Christ. It's a burden off your shoulders because you aren't the one that has to make the change. The Spirit will take care of that. But to faithfully follow and abide is to just witness and to show others what it looks like to follow Christ. But then there's another group in this room, and I am definitely in this group. And these are people that love to learn, love their theology. Is there anybody in here that, that is like that? Thank you. There's a few of you. All right, there's a few. Thank you. I love, I, I love theology. If you ever want to talk bit deep concepts in theology or anything like that, I will totally do it with you. Just corner me after gather sometime and we can chat. But what this often ends up breeding, and, it bre and this was bred in my own heart, and I see it, is an arrogance. This idea that I know everything that there is to know, or I want to know everything there is to know. And that there is this one issue that I know best, and I know exactly what the answer is. And if you say anything else, you are wrong, and I'm going to prove it to everybody. No, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Not with a sinful fallen heart, at least. You can learn all you want, and I want you to learn. I love it. But if your heart goes to the point where, I know exactly the right answer to every single question, or I might not know it, but I can learn it and I can find it, that's going to start to brew a heart of arrogance. And I want to encourage you, if that is your mindset, or if you feel yourself going that way, to take a step back and to have a heart of humility. To look at God's word and be eager to learn, and to be eager to be a witness, but to not say that I know the answer to every single question. But to let the Spirit be the one that changes people's minds, to change people's hearts. That's why the last role is that we're just to glorify Christ. That we're going to glorify Christ. That everything that we do, everything that we say points back to Christ. 
that we're, we still sin. And we still, can, we still get caught up in sin every once in a while. But we can do our best through the work of the Spirit to point everything back to him. And the Spirit is going to be the one that is going to change hearts. But as long as we point people back to the word, point people to Christ, we are being healthy witnesses. And ultimately, we get to participate in what it looks like to, be, to have the knowledge from the Father. And so when you guys go out this summer, whether you come back in the fall or you are a young adult and I see you in, in the fall next time or this summer, whatever it looks like, I love to hear stories about vacations and the crazy things that you guys have done and things like that. The, uh, the band, you guys can go ahead and come back, come on up if you guys want. Um, I love to hear stories and like these, the things that you have done. But what I would love to hear most is what it looks like for that you, how you were abiding in Christ over the summer. What you were doing to witness to other people, to show others what it looks like to glorify Christ. And we're going to sing a song called What a Beautiful Name. And as you sing that, think about what that looks like to glorify Christ. Point all that love, all, every, all of that to him. Give him the glory. Worship him. And allow that to be true to your heart in that moment. And it's something that we haven't done, in, we haven't done yet this year is we, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and crowd the stage. You guys can come on up and crowd the stage. Because I want this to be a, a time of worship. This is going to be time for us to grow together, to worship together. And it's our last gathering, so I want to be able to do that. So go ahead and make your way up to the front. Make your way up to the front. All right, I'm going to pray over you guys before we continue to worship, all right? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being able to dig into it, to learn the knowledge, to be able to grow in that. But Lord, give us hearts that are witnesses. Give us hearts that trust in the Spirit and that he is the one that pushes us to grow, to be better. Lord, we're, we're merely witnesses to give you glory and allow us to worship better that way. In your name I pray, amen.